Let's head to the dojo. Dan Price returns to discuss the second chapter of Bigfoot Knows Karate, Born Under a Bad Sign. The byword starts now. Welcome into another completely animated episode of the Nerd by Word, the only podcast offering astrological advice alongside comic book recommendations. This week's Byword Big Talk features yet another returning guest, Dan Price, who loyal listeners will remember from the Three-Headed Monster episode of Halloween Man Meets the Latex Avenger. He's here today to chat about the latest installment of Bigfoot Knows Karate, which is titled Born Under a Bad Sign. But first, it's time to spill the tea in... Dave, what's brewing? Well, nothing good, it turns out. Uh, there's a bit of a controversy that has erupted over the upcoming Bayonetta 3 Platinum Games action uh, title uh, that will be coming out exclusively for Switch. Now, uh, gamers might remember the original Bayonetta came out many, many moons ago, was available on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Um, and when things were not looking good for development on Bayonetta 2, Nintendo actually swooped in Uh, offered some financing to make sure that Bayonetta 2 can happen. And uh, under the condition, of course, that it would be released as a exclusive on their platform, which was the Wii U at the time. Now, since the game has been re-released, of course, also on the Switch. And once again, for Bayonetta 3, Nintendo is bankrolling Platinum Games development in part. And so it is going to be once again uh, a Nintendo exclusive title. Now, the thing that has gotten a lot of um, fans upset is that original voice actress uh, Helena Taylor um, was uh, announced a while back to not be reprising the role of Bayonetta. Instead, uh, one of the top uh, industry voiceover professionals, Jennifer Hale, uh, you may know her as Commander Shepard from the, uh, the Mass Effect games, um, is now going to step into the role. Uh, so Platinum Games at the time claimed that there were a quote-unquote various overlapping cir- circumstances that made it difficult for uh, Helena to play Bayonetta again. Um, however, uh, just very recently over the last couple of days, as of this recording, uh, Taylor has gone onto social media and is disputing this account and basically saying that she was lowballed when it comes to pay and she had to decline. Um, In fact, uh, in this social media posting, Taylor claims that Platinum only offered her uh, $4,000 for the entirety of her performance. Uh, And based on the trailers, it looks like she's uh, actually going to be voicing multiple versions of the same character in sort of a multiverse situation, which means, you know, a a lot more work even than on previous games. Um, And that, of course, has ignited fans big time. There's a big divide now in people who say, well, it really doesn't matter. We're still going to play this game. And others are uh, very, very upset because they're big fans of uh, her work. Uh, Taylor, in in the same social media posting, uh, called the entire situation immoral um, and called for a boycott of the game. Uh, She said, and I quote, I understand that boycotting this game is a personal choice and there are those who won't. Uh, And that's fine, but if you're someone who cares about people, who cares about the world around you, who cares about who gets hurt with these financial decisions, then I urge you to boycott this game. So I have uh, played uh, both Bayonetta 1 and Bayonetta 2. I will freely admit that I've not beaten either one of those games. I always seem to get sidetracked. I find um, Platinum Games action titles generally to be really enjoyable uh, in sort of a a bullet hail kind of situations, very, very high octane um, action, which is not always um, the perfect game for me. I, I like, you know, something a little more leisurely, but it's very clear that the games have been, you know, crafted lovingly and are, you know, very well put together and very enjoyable to play. Um, now here we are uh, with this situation for Bayonetta 3, which is easily uh, one of the most hotly anticipated titles, uh, in addition to uh, the upcoming Metroid Prime 4, and of course the sequel to uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. 
um, Tears of the Kingdom. So uh, now this this anticipation has obviously been soured tremendously. Chris, what's your take on the situation? Yeah, this is this is completely wild to me because I am as much of an outsider as I can be. I'm not familiar with this franchise at all, um, <clears throat> but I am I am familiar with you know voice acting, you know being heavily underappreciated. So um, I, I don't know that I feel incredibly qualified to comment. <clears throat> on the on this situation, but it is very very upsetting to hear, nonetheless. You know, I think it ties in nicely with what we were talking about just last week with the Mario trailer. You know, and how there was sort of a, a weird feeling about Chris Pratt's involvement in that role when we have you know a very notable voice actor who's been voicing the character for a significant number of years. We're talking, I think, going all the way back to the N sixty four days. Um, so it just there does seem to be. Uh, sort of a disconnect in the industry of uh, an appreciation, I guess, for uh, voice acting as a a craft, uh, as an art form. And uh, we see this increasingly in animated features where people are going with celebrity voices rather than with trained voice actors. It is very um, upsetting to see, though, when you have a voice actor uh, like uh, Helena Taylor here who has established a character um, over the course of two different games and uh, is beloved by fans and and then gets this incredibly low ball offer and it makes me wonder too um i i with how prolific jennifer hale is i can't believe i that love she would i love have taken jennifer this, hale yeah i love her yeah i can't i can't believave that she would have taken this job for a mere four thousand dollars so if if pay was truly you know the 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 stumbling block here then if they're offering jennifer hale more money to do this role then why would they not offer the same money for a returning voice actor i just i find this this whole situation bizarre to say the least yeah so like it's wild to me i i saw it's funny you say that i saw right after we got done recording i saw a tiktok that was like a compilation of charles martinet like behind the scenes like doing Mario's voice and it just made me upset all over again and <clears throat> I, I just I just think that like it, it's such an underappreciated thing and and with a movie like Mario in particular you're gonna go see it I don't think adding Chris Pratt or even Jack Black who whom I love and I think is great in that role I don't think that that is I I don't know maybe I'm 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 underestimating that effect but I I don't see that as being a major driving factor. I in in contrast I love what Star Wars has done with things like the Mandalorian and what what rumors and rumblings we're seeing for the Ahsoka series because you have Katie Sackhoff who voiced um Bo-Katan in the animated series and she portrayed that character in live action. So bringing, you know, attention to a voice actor and and now the latest rumblings, which I hope are true. I don't know why I didn't make this my news story. Lars Mikkelsen, who you may know his brother Mads Mikkelsen, uh, voiced Grand Admiral Thrawn, your fave, during Star Wars Rebels and is now rumored to be in the running for the live action role in the Ahsoka series. So I love, in contrast, the love that these voice actors are getting. And and I just don't understand why we're so short-sighted in that. Yeah, it's it's a troubling situation. Now, Chris, going from one troubling situation to another, uh, you have a, a story that is deeply upsetting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at first glance, it appeared that Cartoon Network was going to be the latest casualty in the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. Two big-time executives with the network will be leaving the company at the close of this year, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Marketing chief Trisha Melton, who has been with the company since 2020 and was the major force behind the massive rebrand for Cartoon Network. Uh, She also successfully uh, rebranded Turner Classic Movies before transitioning to Cartoon Network. Um, The other casualty of CEO David Zaslav's war on predominantly animated content is longtime Cartoon Network veteran Jill King, the senior VP of Marketing and Partnerships. She was one of the creative forces um, in those two decades behind such smash hits as the Powerpuff Girls and Steven Universe. Michael Uwelin will continue to run Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, and Boomerang, while Polo Changyon uh, runs Turner Classic Movies, both reporting to head of U.S. Network's Kathleen Finch. 
This is just another um, cost-cutting method instituted by Zaslav and company as they strive to cut corners, cut costs in the amount of $3 billion in post-merger savings. Many fans took this as a death knell for the beloved home for tunes, with social media being set ablaze with in-memoriam memes and tributes. However, the official account uh, tweeted out the following statement, Y'all, we're not dead. We're just turning 30. To our fans, we're not going anywhere. We have been and will always be your home for beloved, innovative cartoons. More to come soon. Yeah, right, Dave. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard not to be uh, very negative about this entire situation at this point, considering all the questionable choices that have been made under the new leadership in the um, never-ending effort to save a quick buck. Um, I know I read online that there was some downsizing going on at Cartoon Network Studios as well, which is in charge of, you know, creating uh, original animated content and that it's being merged, I believe, with uh, Warner Brothers General Animation Department. And that obviously is going to put, uh, uh, you know, make it more difficult, I think, for Cartoon Network to have, you know, interesting original programming. Um, so I'm a big Cartoon Network fan, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm just some old dude who misses Saturday morning cartoons. So, uh, being able at any time of day to just like flick to a channel that has cartoons running 24 seven and, and generally between, you know, the classic stuff that has found its way onto Boomerang now and the more original content that Cartoon Network has done over the years, I have to say it's, it's been, it's been a good time to be a, a fan of cartoons as far as Cartoon Network is concerned. I'm not exactly sure um, what the motivation here is besides, once again, downsizing for downsizing sake, because, you know, you, you want to save a quick buck, just like the cancellation of the Batgirl movie. Yeah, and, and it seems like such a short-sighted and tone-deaf, um, you know, approach to take, too, with with such, you know, popular smash hits, so much so that they're, like, getting fe- feature films. I know Steven Universe is really, really popular with my kids in particular, and they watch it over and over and over again. And so to see something like that as a casualty is just it's it not only is it frustrating, is it upsetting, but it's also just like it doesn't seem like a smart business move. No, it really doesn't. And I think there's a there's a certain amount of alienation going on here, too. Um, you know, they say that uh, every bit of uh, publicity that you get is good publicity. And I would strongly disagree with that. I don't think that Warner has had a single bit of good publicity uh, for any of these behind the scenes decisions that have been made in recent um, in recent months. I don't, you know, I, don't I don't think they've I don't think they've had a good bit of news since we started this show. I mean, I mean, the only the only good bit of news that seems to be going on is that there's at least a halfway decent reception to Black Adam going on right now from the, you know, the first batch of people who've seen it and that there is a big a big, uh, you know, spoiler going around about a returning character from a previous movie that's getting some people excited. But other than that, um, yeah, I, I don't think they've had any positive word of mouth. And it is true that you can, in fact, have bad publicity. If there's not a single positive th- thing coming out of Warner's camp, a lot of people are just, you know, writing them off at this point. They they are Zaslav is turning Warner almost into a running joke at this point. I sure hope that they figure out how to course correct, because at this point, the memes kind of just make themselves. It's It's funny to me because... In the last few years, I've come to formulate this uh, theory that that Warner Brothers has now become like the Bill Maher of entertainment, where both sides hate them. <laughs> like nobody's happy. Like the Snyder bots, of course, are not, and you know everybody else is not happy with them. Like you're just pissing everybody off. I think that sums it up pretty well. All right, that wraps up the nerd news segment for this week. Return after our first break for another Byword Big Talk, this time with Dan Price as we take karate lessons. Welcome back to this week's Byword. And we have yet another returning guest. We're going on tour with this one, guys. So Dan Price, uh, who we previously spoke to alongside Drew Edler, Edwards and Paolo Hernandez for the Latex Avenger and Halloween Man crossover, is now coming back to talk to us about his other baby, Bigfoot Knows Karate, 
Chapter Two, Born Under a Bad Sign. Dan, thanks for coming back and give us another chance. Oh, <laughs> that was not another chance. It's my honor to be here, first of all. Yeah, thank you, Chris, for giving me the time tonight. I really do appreciate it. So listen, I'm a big Zodiac guy, and I see Born Under a Bad Sign. What is, in fact, Bigfoot's Zodiac sign, and why is it bad? Uh, honestly, the uh, the Zodiac has nothing to do with the title of the book. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I had, I mean, I don't, I don't even really know my own star sign, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, the No, I'm a Gemini. But, uh, so, yeah, um, <laughs> the... Um, I don't know what his zodiac sign is. Never came up in the world building uh, portion of this whole thing. Uh, but it's funny that you should me- mention, like, you know, I don't know if it's zodiac, but, you know, the, uh, the constellations, because uh, there is a character in this issue that is named after a star. Ah. Yeah. So uh, that's as close as we get, but uh, touching on the astrological. It's just more of the astronomy of the whole thing, I guess. But yeah, there is one character that is uh, a character that's uh, steeped in uh, mythology that is, there's a star named after the character. So so take us under that title then. Sure. What does it mean to be bo- born under a bad title? So here's a little, I haven't even, I've never said this, I don't think, on a podcast yet. Um, the titles from here on out in this first arc are actually all titles of old blues songs. And um, the song Born Under a Bad Sign by Albert King is something that is uh, is uh, a favorite of mine. And, you know, as I was thinking about, like, kind of the themes of each issue, um, the uh, the themes of each issue, I, I was able to kind of connect uh, song, you know, song titles or song lyrics into you know, where, you know, what was going on in the book. And I just thought that was just a neat thing. Um, which I just thought it was a neat thing. It was just, inter- it was interesting to me at the very least, just because I am mm-hmm. a big blues fan. And, um, and I feel like, you know, with the character himself, while we're not listening to blues music as we're playing, you know, reading the comic book, right. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, I mean, if you were the only one of your kind and you were isolated from the entire world, Nobody knew you exist. Yeah, I think you'd have the blues too. Do you? Um, I've, I've seen a couple of X Men writers like share their Spotify playlist. Do you have a playlist when you're writing? I do. And creating. I do. I do. I have a. Uh, I have two playlists. So I'm pulling it up real quick so I can like read off some of it to you. Uh, it's a, a mixture. You know, I, I like. I'm a very eclectic music fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I. Um, I love blues, like I mentioned, and I love uh, I love uh, punk rock, and um, you know, so like uh, this uh, playlist, my BFKK playlist, it's it's Tito and Tarantula when you cry, Down on the Street by the Stooges, Battle Sirens by Tom Morello with Knife Party, uh, the uh, uh, Creo Outlaw, which is like a techno-ish type thing. Uh, we actually used that song as the uh, trailer for issue one. Uh, yeah, Wolf Mother, The Rack on Tour, Sun House, Grinning in Your yes. Face, you know, uh, Hendrix, the Jimi Hendrix Experience doing the long version of Voodoo Child, uh, Big in Japan by Tom Waits, Unfuck the World by Prophets of Rage. Sorry if I just cussed and shouldn't, but, you know, Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie. So you kind of get the mix of what I'm going for when I'm, you know, some Danzig, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, clutch <laughs> you know i mean so so johnny johnny cash god's gonna cut you down uh yes. that's a, so anyway you can kind of see where i'm coming from from a musical standpoint i do i love hip-hop and i love uh punk and i love blues and funk and jazz and classic rock and you know that kind of thing some country like johnny cash is cool loretta lynn died recently i was kind of sad because she was such a great songwriter um you know but that's kind of my musical my, my musical wheelhouse right there. So for new listeners, maybe they didn't catch the Latex Avenger Halloween Man episode. Sure. Give us a brief overview of what made you want to meld the idea of Sasquatch and martial sure. arts. Sure. So um, originally this case, so you know, we, we talked before about Latex Avenger, right? And he's got his sidekick spermicidal foam lad and together they repel crime 99.9% of the time. Uh, that is, you know, the world that I was writing in for a long time. I had that book. I had a book called Masters of the Obvious that lived in the same uh, universe. And Bigfoot Knows Karate was supposed to live in that universe to begin with. 
Uh, I just like the title. I just like the title and I thought it would be funny. And I wrote this script for it, you know, had a treatment together. And when I got done looking at it and, you know, some of the sketches I was doing for it, it wasn't very good. Got to be honest with you. And uh, so I shelved it. I kept the name around, you know, pinned to the wall so I could look at it for a few years. And, um, and then what happened was I started doodling the character again, but this time in a completely different art style, not funny at all. It was, he was sad, you know, you could see it in his eyes and he was, you know, there was a desperation and a, a kind of a, um, a loneliness, you know, a longing, you know, as what I, you know, and the character really ended up taking in the first iteration of the second round, uh, a very depressed tone to it. It was, it was a very somber story and he ended up not, uh, he ended up actually, the beginning of it was being so lonely that he actually jumped off, yeah. he jumped off a cliff and for, uh, you know, but fortunately for him, he woke up in a, in like a, in a, in a temple. And he was trained up to be a uh, martial artist by the master. And then it turns into the usual story that you get, you know, he gets hurt. He get, the master finds him, you know, he gets trained up. There's somebody in the dojo that doesn't like all that takes out the master revenge. You know, I didn't want to do that story either. So I, I, I just kept doodling the character and thinking about the character. And then finally an idea popped up in my head that seemed like so different from what, what I was originally going for, you know, that didn't have just that passe, you know, martial arts, you know, uh, martial arts movie storyline. So when that happened, um, that changed everything, you know, Casey Allen is my co-writer on the book and he and I would talk about it at length, uh, back before he even came on the project and he was, and then he became my editor and then he'd be, he was doing so much. that I was like, let's just co-write this thing together. And, you know, we, we put together the story that is the crux of the first issue was him fighting a character named Kung Fu Thulu, which is you know, our martial arts Cthulhu character. <laughs> and um, but, it you know, but that was that's how we advertised the first issue. Godzilla versus Kong meets Kill Bill with a twist. And we weren't kidding about the twist. We had a completely meta narrative that was going on through the book and that, you know, it started off as this very small story about, you know, this. Bigfoot in the wilderness and turned into this gigantic uh, uh, conspiracy by the end of it. And I, without going into too much detail, I'll just put it to that. And um, yeah, so we pick up right where we left off. Now we've got Godzilla versus Kong meets Kill Bill with a twist of Lost, you know, because we've we've put we've taken this character that nobody knew existed, and what's worse, not knowing and nobody knowing you exist. Or being completely surrounded by enemies, and that's where we've left Bigfoot here, walking into issue two. He's is, things are not looking good for the big boy, and uh, yeah, he's truly born under a bad sign at this point. Well, that that actually ties into my next question of of being the premise for this chapter and and where our titular character finds himself. So um, I'm going to transition on to the next one because you nailed it right there. Uh, speaking of pulling double duty, that's exactly what you do with this book. You're doing both the art and and co-writing. So what is that process like? You know, how do you keep your head straight with all that multitasking? Um, you know, I mean, look, it, it's uh, when we when this whole thing started, I wrote extensive notes and what I was thinking. But, you know, I like I come from the world of, uh, you know, one shot you know, and fart joke comics, you know, I mean, like, let's just be honest. And um, so what I, you know, um, so that's why I started talking to Casey, because I didn't want, you know, this just to be a one shot farce. I wanted this to be, you know, a five issue epic storyline cinematic in its scope. And, um, you know, that no pop culture references of any kind, that's not what we're, you know, I mean, yes, the titles of the thing, and that's my own little inside right. joke. But like, when you read this book, you'll, I mean, it's not like I'm na I named the book, you know, Fireworks by whatever her name was, you know what I mean? Or, you know, something that's like, you know, like uh, Mambo number five, like this is, you know, I went with something that was so classic that if you didn't know it, it wouldn't affect you. It's almost like, it's almost like public domain at this point. Almost in a way, right. almost in a way. Yeah. And, um, and so the, so, um, oh God, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, 
the so I mean in the writing process there we you know we we I, I dropped this kind of Bible of information on Casey and like this is what I'm dealing with and he helped kind of sort out pace you know kind of just put it all together help you know help me figure that out and so now we 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 have like this strong arc that is very you know you know the outlines are all written and now we're just writing the stories and all of that and so like with this issue like and well in the first one you know there was a lot of it that was already kind of set up because I've been working ahead of time. Uh, and this issue, you know, Casey took the reins more on like once we had the plot, you know, figured out and how, we, you know, it was all going to break down. Casey took, you know, the first swing at the script and, you know, and did a hell of a job. And so then my job is to go in after that and kind of fix, you know, plot holes and, you know, just find, you know, uh, add some here, cut some there and then uh, and then take a swing at the dialogue, you know, because he'll write the dialogue and then I'll go in and you know, tweak here and there. And maybe I had a tone in mind for the, you know, for something. And so we'll work, but we're really good. We're not proud, too proud of our own work to where we're, one of us is going to get mad if something gets cut. Um, we want what's best for the comic. And generally I'd say 95% of the time we agree, you know, there's a couple of times where we both had to put our foot down on something and we're always able to, you know, work through that amicably because we care about the project and we care about each other. We're, you know, I mean, Casey lives in Alabama outside Birmingham. I live in Austin, Texas. We've never met face to face. We've known each other four years. Talk to him four days a week, probably on the phone. He's one of my better friends. You know, I mean, really, he's a, you know, so once we get the script ironed out and probably even before that, because we'll have, you know, big chunks of the script done, I start drawing. And, um, because, you know, I mean, I get some flexibility in the artwork and I'll talk to Casey. I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to break these two panels into three, or I'm going to take these three panels and push them to two, you know, just because I can make it work. And, you know, he's always amicable on that type of thing. Um, and yeah, so I do the artwork, I do the colors, I do the letters, you know, all of that. But I, you know, it's my pleasure to do so because one, I'm a bit of a control freak. And two, I kind of look at the whole page as one piece of art anyway. So I'd like to, compl- I'd like to complete the art piece, you know, from beginning to end. Dude, I, I really think you have some telepathy skills because that really was like my next question. <laughs> it's it's rare it's rare that you see like co-writers on a crowdfunded project. Usually, you know, very clear cut. You got a writer, you got an artist. And, you know, maybe you have a different inker or a colorist. So I I just think that's really fascinating. And and you you know, I, so my next question was, what is that process like working with Casey? But I think you nailed it already. Um, so it's just, it, I think it's just really fascinating and it really makes a project like this stand out because you don't see like co-writers a lot. Yeah, no, it's, it's a different animal for sure, but it is a pleasurable experience. So, uh, as is the, uh, the norm with Kickstarters, you have different tiers and incentives. So, uh, if you've got backers, you know, looking for incentives, what can you tease for? Well, um, let me just pull up my Kickstarter real quick so I can get this completely right. Well, right now, as well, I mean, this won't be live, but hey, if you were listening to it live in 15 minutes, the actual uh, early birds end. Um, but we have some really good uh, other tiers. Uh, one of the things that we did for the first time is a foil cover. And I've never tried that before on a book. And uh, the early bird tiers of it, they're all gone uh, already. The, um, the, you know, but there's still some left of the, uh, the limit 25 that we have for the full, uh, for the full thing. We do uh, two different types of books though. We do regular editions and deluxe editions. So in the regular, you know, in the first, uh, first book that we did uh, for issue one uh, that, you know, we did a, you know, 30 page uh, book and then, you know, the 44 page book. This time it's 37 and 48, I think is how we're doing it this time around. And in the deluxe editions, you get the same exact story, but then you get bonus pieces, okay? And there'll be, you know, last campaign we received over 60 pieces of fan art uh, before we even launched. We've received over 100 pieces of fan art at this point for Bigfoot Nose Karate. So I uh, got some really amazing artists doing some pieces to go in the back of the book, you know, um, and then we're our co- one of our cover artists, Adam Caswell, is joining us on a side story for Bigfoot Nose Karate. And so hopefully we're going to have some pages, some interior pages of that to show in the book uh, when uh, we go to press. But the exciting thing for sure is um, the director's commentary. 
the director's commentary was something I came up with in the first uh, campaign. And uh, we actually used that for uh, for Halloween Man Meets Latex Avenger as well. Uh, it's something that, you know, nobody had really done. Uh, I mean, I've, I've heard some little ideas that people have tried to do director's commentaries, but I think we're the first ones to execute it like this. Um, you know, there's a QR code uh, on one of the pages of the deluxe edition and you click on the QR code and it takes you to a private YouTube channel. And there we do, we recorded a Zoom and we'll, uh, we talk about the book at length and it'll be, um, you know, uh, you know, and, you know, the creative team, a couple other creators, maybe another po- podcaster or something like that. And uh, we'll uh, talk about the book and do a really deep dive. And that was a big hit in the first campaign. So I'm excited to do that again. Um, retailers, we're doing a retailers tier this go around. We got catch up title, you know, catch up books if you missed the first issue. And we even have uh, the four pack of covers of regular and variant, uh, the regular and uh, deluxe editions. And then we even have an eight pack as well that you can get the regular and deluxes from issue one and issue two. So there's quite a bit of stuff. We didn't go crazy with a lot of ancillary products and that sort of thing. Really wanted to keep it focused to the book. And uh, but there's a lot to choose from, even if it's just comic books. You know what I mean? Okay, so, you know, I'm looking at, you know, the Kickstarter as well. And I'm just reminded of our last conversation. We talked about, you know, this evoking something like Samurai Jack for myself. And and I think you had mentioned that as well. And it's just I, I don't know, like where we go from this. I'm going off the rails. But like, it's just so frustrating to see something is so you know, inspirational for us and our generation, like Cartoon Network to be like shelved essentially by this merger as another one bites the dust. Thanks to Warner Brothers discovery. Yeah, no, I mean, the influence of Samurai Jack for me actually really wasn't a thing. I've only seen about 20 minutes of the show when my nephew was oh, really? five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, I mean, he's like 26 now, but uh, what I remembered of it, I remember it being beautiful. When people tell me it looks like Samurai Jack, I mean, how do you not take that as a compliment? Um, uh, it's a shame about Cartoon Network because there was a lot of stuff on there that I really liked. Uh, you know, I was a big Adult Swim fan. I thought that was, you know, um, oh man, Aqua Teen, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. That was like my high school years. Yeah, I loved, uh, I loved uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast when they were doing that. Oh, I yeah. thought that was hilarious. Uh, the um, Harvey Birdman was pretty good. I, I then I, I, you know, and then you'd watch just reruns of old stuff on there and that sort of thing. But I liked Cart, you know, I liked Cartoon Network. There was a uh, show that they used to have on years ago called the ink and paint club where it was just like old 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 cartoons like black and white stuff and i would just i would just vibe on that my you know i'll i like cartoons i'm like i mean recently i was just watching the max fleischer supermans over again while i was working on something so good i mean that rotoscoping over with the animation over the top it's so to think it like to think it it, it's like that old and like it still stands so true like like it was made yesterday oh yeah so you know it's so stylized to that deco look and it's just it's beautiful but i mean um yeah i mean but you got to take you know people take influences from everywhere you know i mean there's like there's people have said to me that the backgrounds of my comic look like you know especially in issue one look like something out of like Hanna barbera you know like old cartoons and stuff yes, like that yeah and so yeah i get that vibe completely you know the second issue is such a change in um such a change in environment uh he's a bigfoot out in the wilderness in issue one and now he's just in this industrial nightmare it's pretty uh we really did flip the script on him in this one for sure it just seems like there's such a divide between you know corporate executives and and the influence that animation has on so many creators even and like how it kind of you know, is an advent for the creative process. It's just incredibly frustrating that they're so short-sighted. Well, I, you know, we live in a world now that it's like, they don't, studios don't take risks anymore. You know, I mean, that it's like if you're, I was hearing a bunch of people complaining on Twitter recently about like, um, you know, that hiring big name actors to do voiceovers and cartoons is, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go into the whole argument of the whole thing because, you know, but the, I think that um, people should be willing to take risks. Studios should be willing to take risks on independent film, on creative animation. I mean, you'll never see anything as wild as a liquid television ever again. You know, I don't know if you remember that on MTV years ago, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, liquid television was completely, I mean, it was, 
it was almost avant-garde in the way that it would play with animation and storyline and things like it was very cool i mean the max the max is incredible um you know so there is so many um I think it's a shame that, you know, that they'll only invest in the blockbuster projects anymore, but that's, you know what, that's where indie comics come in. We're the, we're the voice that is going to change that turns that tide. Um, you know, you see, uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst nerd ever for what I'm about to say. I'm over Marvel movies. I'm over, <laughs> all, I'm over DC movies. I'm over, both of those universes and not for any other reason that I've just read it before, you know, I mean, yeah. for years, there's nothing wrong with the characters. They're wonderful. I don't care if they're, you know, retconned and, you know, been, you know, look, they've been killed and retconned and changed and this and that and the other, and that, you know what? I don't get upset about that stuff. Do you know why? Because I'm a grown man who has been reading comics since he was eight years old and it have, and has the, the uh, forethought to think, you know, the, you know, to think, Hey, they're not writing these for me. They're writing them for a younger generation and as well, they should. So I get really, you know, I, I know a lot of older readers get, have a lot of reasons that they get mad for not, and don't read those comics anymore. I, I'm in the same boat with them in terms of, I don't read them anymore, but for completely different reasons. You know what I mean? I love independent comics. I love new ideas. I love new stories. I love new creators. I love people who think outside the box. I think it's cool that we had a Cthulhu who could do Kung Fu. I think it's neat that I've worked on a character that has a rubber on his head. You'd never find that in the big <laughs> two ever, you yeah. know? And so I am, you know, I, yeah, I like comics. I like the stories and stuff. Sure. But what I really love is the process. And I love telling, I love telling stories and there's nothing wrong with the average, you know, Avengers issue or something like that. Nothing, nothing at all. Um, I just, that's not where I gravitate to. I mean, like the latest things I read were like something's killing the children, the last Ronin, you know, and those mm -hmm. are stuff by big names. Oh, that's Ronin. Yeah. Oh, You're so good. So yeah. good. Yeah. But if, uh, you know, but if, uh, if I'm going to spend my time reading something, I mean, I just picked up, you know, magic powder by Jeff Schiller, you know, off of Kickstarter. That's great. And, you know, uh, Frankenstein and Con the Unconquered right now is out, and I got the first issue of that. I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. I saw that one. Yep. Apex Cybernetic Samurai out. That's cool as hell to me. Space Oddities. I'm just looking, grabbing. So, you know, one, the Wonder Duck. I mean, there's just so many crazy things out there, and I usually just look for the craziest stuff out there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Lesser Known Comics. They, you know, I recently just saw the guys from there, and they... Handed me a big old oh. stack of books. So Mark's a great guy, and he Mark. Just, uh, yep, we just we just had yeah we just had Mark on. Um, yeah, so his episode is coming up soon. Uh, yeah, we even I I even talked about I even talked about going to Nashville with him. So oh, about those guys. yeah, no, Mark was actually just texting me while we were in the uh, while we were here in this podcast right now. So he was uh, asking me a question real quick, but yeah, we spoke on the phone earlier today. We were in a Zoom earlier on a different thing and. Uh, this, uh, this, we, like we've had like three different interactions over three different types of media today. Um, but that's the indie comics community. I mean, that, that's, that's, that, you know, we're all in this together. I really firmly believe that I do not look at the other, other creators as competition. What's the point? You know, what are you going to do? Get yourself aggravated? No, if we, we can work with each other and we can learn from each other. Hell, Chris, Christopher Michael from uh, the book Crit, we launched our books at the exact same time uh, on Wednesday. And instead of like trying to split the audience on live streams and stuff like that, we said, let's just launch them together. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so we did, we did a live launch party on Instagram. We had over 230 people watch that live stream that night. I mean, that was pretty cool. You know, I, you don't get that very often. So if you can find a good way to work with your, uh, and yeah, and check out crit on Kickstarter right now. Um, but, um, if you can find ways to creatively collaborate, that it is mutually beneficial for each other, why the hell not? And even if you can't, there's nothing wrong with helping your fellow creator answer a question or figure out a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think I'm going to be doing a live stream with um, the folks from crit as well coming up soon. So I think, I think for me as, as such like an X-Men fan and like the, the tried and true, um, you know, storytelling aspect of like found family. I think that's what, you know, since we, you know, Dave and I created this podcast two and a half years ago, I think that's been the coolest thing is 
being kind of looped into that found family of indie comics and just like the camaraderie and the community that's been built under indie creators. I mean, um, one of, one of my favorite guests that we've ever had, one of the truly best people that I've met through this experience is my guy, Jared Lujan. And the way that, that he got shafted with, with crash and Troy and how the entire indie community like rallied around him. And we got crash and Troy freed from the action labs debacle and 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 like stick up that you know that was going on there so like i I mean and and there's a guy who like you know being of of mexican descent and like we're so we're so centered around you know greco-roman mythology norse mythology we never hear anything about mesoamerican mythology like where are the Aztec and Mayan, you know, deities in comics, you know? And so, you know, just the simple tagline of give Mexican sorts is so freaking cool to me. It's so creative. It's so new. And you're never going to get that at the big two. No, you're not. And, uh, you know, I have a friend here in Austin, Kevin Garcia, who uh, has a a book that falls in line with what you're talking about. And I love it. I love that uh, people... Uh, are you know that indie comics allow people to do that because yeah they're never going to take those types of chances in the big two and you know I, I like the fact that they push for what they're pushing for right now I mean I respect that completely but they're never they're they're never going to give it full force I don't feel sorry and um, and then you look at things like uh, there was an issue there was a problem with and I, I hate to get all uh, into all this stuff to be honest with you but. Uh, there was an issue recently of Thor and Miles Morales uh, turning oh, into the same yeah, character. I remember that one. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and here's the thing. I know that writer. Okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't say we're good friends, but we I know him through uh, another writer. And I, I, he's he's a wonderful person. You know, I mean, he really is. I feel real bad because I think that, you know, not a good story. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was just, it was just a bad, it was some bad choices. But uh, everything that he's done in indie has been really fantastic work. And um, yeah, so, I mean, that's a tough situation to be in. I empathize with him completely because, you know, everybody can write themselves into a mistake sometime and not even see it. Um, You know, you have to be... When you when you write... You know, I I think that I have... I've cussed a couple times. I'm hoping that was okay. No, that's chill. Okay, cool. So uh, I, you I, know, I I've, I've documented it for Dave to go into edit if he wants to. So okay, cool. <laughs> well, you, there's there's this thing that you you know you have sometimes you have to separate the art from the apple. Okay, and uh, the fact of the matter is is that sometimes the art is not actually written by an apple. It's just written by somebody who just didn't who just didn't think things out properly. Uh, I think about like Preston Tucker. You know who that is? He invent he uh, invented the Tucker automobile back in the 1940s, 50s, and he uh, he failed completely. And the U.S. government tried to bring him up on charges for fraud. And his argument was, he was like, no, I actually intended to do exactly what I said I needed to do. I just screwed up. I can show you what I've done. And he ended up getting off on all charges because the jury was smart enough to realize this is a person who got put in a bad situation with a bad string of luck. You know, the guy wasn't wasn't, uh, at fault for anything other than just failing, you know. So, um, you know, I think that. I love indie comics because you can do what you want to do. I mean, like I can go back to the thing with the guy with the rubber on his head, Latex Avenger. I mean, if you're going to write something outlandish, man, own it. Own it, you know. But I don't think Marvel's the the, the canvas to paint that on, frankly. Okay, so the press release for Bigfoot, um, it, it teases it as a five-part series. What made that just the right number for you guys? I mean, when I broke it down, when we were doing the initial... Um, plot it it just felt like you know it just broke into five acts you know you your first act being the just laying the groundwork uh of the character the second act very much laying the groundwork of the world and then you know then we begin a journey after that so um there you know it's it's not like we're just playing with regular superheroes you know and not and not to diminish superheroes at all i love superhero comics but um, you know, it's it's well, there's an unfamiliarity here 
uh, for lack of a better term, because, you know, of the type of story we're writing, there's, a, it's an action adventure, it's a psychological thriller, and, and it's not what, you know, it's, it's the book, the title of the book tells you exactly what's going on, but then you start reading it and there's a whole lot more happening. There's a lot of, there's a lot of layers on this onion to peel back. And so the five parts are going to get us, get us a really strong arc. Um, and then my man, Casey pulled a fast one on me here recently, Chris, he said uh, to me, he goes, Hey, can we write an epilogue in the issue five? And I said, what's that? And he goes, Oh, you know, because of issue six. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> he told me what the epilogue was. And I said, okay, but I'm not drawing it. I'm taking a break. <laughs> and he said, deal. <laughs> so we'll, uh, you know, we've got a couple of side stories that we're doing between issues in the first arc that'll just kind of elaborate on what we're trying to do. But then the, um, but then we also have, uh, we have the next, the next arc, kind of mapped out on where we're going to go with it and with, you know, and play with, you know, you mentioned mythology earlier, you know, mythology is a large part of, uh, of what we're doing in Bigfoot, whether it's from, you know, this part of the world or that part of the world, there's a, a lot of different mythologies that get to be played with in, in this story and in, in the story of cryptid and kaiju that we're messing with. Um, so, yeah. And then I even, we even have when that, when that arc is done, uh, or while that arc is being done, I will be slowly and steadily working on one one-shot book that I'm desperate to do for Bigfoot and Karate. So, um, and I just want to be able to take my sweet ass time working on that book because I want to give because I want to give that my all. You know, right now on the you know on this arc, I, you know, you look, you're an artist, you can drive the gun, pal. You hurry it up. You know, that one uh, when we'll have other issues being done at the same time, I'll be able to slow down and just really put together that, that, that art piece that I really want to do. Cause I really do enjoy the art side of this whole thing. I love writing it, but uh, I love, I love being able to do some really cool stuff with the artwork. Do you have anything in addition to Bigfoot on the horizon? No. Uh, I have so many ideas I want to do. Um, the next thing that I'll work on after Bigfoot. And I mean, it, and depending on how many of these we do really, I mean, uh, there's a play that I want to adapt into a, into a graphic novel. And um, the, the writer happens to be my best friend. So um, he's given me permission to do that, which is nice. And, um, and it's, a, it's a noir hitman story with it. It's just a really, really strong story that I think that people will really get into for sure. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. We have overcome recording issues, scheduling issues, uh, so we, we will not be held back by Zencaster or time zone conflicts, but where can our listeners go to support you and your work? Uh, the best place to find me is at bigfootnosekarate.com. If you go over to bigfootnosekarate.com, uh, I can't believe I was able to get that URL. Nobody took that. <laughs> I was just going to say you, you, you jumped at that domain. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I was able to grab it. I mean like nobody took this. Well, of course nobody took it, but you know, I mean like I grabbed as soon as I saw it available, I bought that thing up for like as many years as humanly possible. Um, but you can go over to the URL or over to the website and you can find the link to the Kickstarter. You can find my social media handles, uh, which is danomite 139 on Instagram and Twitter. You can also get shirts and mugs and all sorts of stuff in the shop, as well as get links to buy, you know, back issues. But the big thing right now is do please do check out the Kickstarter. Um, you know, we've got a two-fisted, two-footed fury right there for you. And we hope you come out and check it out because first campaign, you know, the first book, people really seem to dig it. And uh, let's keep the good times rolling. So Dan Price. Bigfoot knows karate. Chapter two, born under a bad sign. Blues, blues music. It doesn't get better than that. Dan, thanks so much for your time, man. Chris, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Our right, special thanks to Dan for coming back on the show. Be sure by the time this episode releases, there's just a few days to get on the Bigfoot knows karate train. So be sure to go and support that on Kickstarter if you have the ability to do so. When we come back from this, our final break. We're going to finally, finally, the nightmare is over. We are returning to Nerd Commendations.
And we now arrive at our final segment. Yes, at long last, after several weeks of my misery for your pleasure, we are back with our nerd commendations, uh, popular media, whether they be comic books, video games, novels, shows, films, what have you, that we think are awesome and we want to share with you. Now, Dave went on an indie binge before Spooky Season even started, and he said, get ready for some weird shit. Here is the aforementioned weird um, Can I just also point out that Nerd Nightmare is over? Um, let me go ahead and talk about a horror comic book for a second, Chris. <laughs> it never ends. You can't, too bad this is not a visual medium. You can't see the dead inside look in my face right now. Oh, that, now see that, that would be a look that I would almost be paying for to see. Uh Time for Patreon just to just to see the dead look. <laughs> Want to see the dead look in my eyes? Shell out five bucks a month. <laughs> so so let's talk about Stray Dogs for a second. Um, so as Chris has mentioned, I've kind of went on an indie binge, whatever that might mean. Basically, <clears throat> I've kind of turned my back on um, big two superhero comics for the time being, and I'm just bouncing around from stuff from major publishers like, you know, Image and Boom, but also going with some, uh, you know, European comic books. And so my nerd commendations over the next few weeks are going to take uh, a very eclectic approach, I think. Uh, I have a backlog of six or seven uh, nerd commendations already, and I'm still eagerly chomping away at various uh, really, really fun comics that I'm reading. And the first of those is uh, Stray Dogs <clears throat> uh, by uh, Tony Fleeks and Chris Forstner. Uh, so here is the official tagline from Image Comics for Stray Dogs, a five-issue limited series. Um, it's scary being the new dog. Sophie can't remember what happened. She doesn't know how she ended up in this house. She doesn't recognize any of these other dogs. She knows something terrible has happened, but she just can't recall. Wait, where's her lady? A five-issue Don Bluth-style suspense thriller by My Little Pony Comics artists Tony Fleeks and Trish Forstner, Stray Dogs is Lady and the Tramp meets Silence of the Lambs. And this is what I think makes it uh, such a uh, interesting series. Um, the art is absolutely gorgeous, and I think uh, calling it Don Bluth-style is absolutely fair. It really... Uh, sort of invokes a sort of a golden age of animation look. You know, this is really hand-drawn, gorgeous animated stuff, very clean lines, um, very colorful. The colors really pop in this, uh, absolutely great colors. And at the same time, you take um, visuals that we are, um, I guess, from childhood conditioned to seeing as bright uh, and bubbly and positive, and then you give it this incredibly creepy undertone. Uh, the book uh, basically deals with a um, a serial killer uh, who uh, kills people and then take uh, then takes their dogs and keeps their dogs in his house. And the dogs are uh, they all forget what has happened and they're trying to struggle to remember and ultimately figure out: Are we in danger? Do we need to get out of here? Uh, what happened to our original owners? And it is a, a, a shockingly emotional journey as well. Um, by the end, you know, uh, you you kind of Although the ending is not like super downer, there's there are some very harsh events that kind of like take you aback and, and and really make you feel for these characters. So don't let the cutesy art fool you. This one uh, has a, a, some very very creepy undertones. It's very suspenseful. Um, and totally worth the price of admission. I know there's a trade paperback available now. Um, so I would totally uh, recommend checking out Stray Dogs. I'm so glad to be a cat dad right now. <laughs> <laughs> although, although my younger cat is probably like siller, uh, serial killer material. I have to watch him with, with both eyes at all times. Well, mo I think most cats have that potential. <laughs> all right, Chris, so what are you nerd commending this week? Well, I've been teasing this for a long time, but I finally got a chance to sit down and read it. Um, I got, uh, I re-upped my uh, Comixology Unlimited uh, subscription, which thankfully has a lot of um, availability for things like Boom Studios and, and Image Comics and, and indie stuff that I don't get to read with DC Universe Infinite or Marvel Unlimited. I'm just such a digital reader. Um, so these these subscription services are, are 
I, I, I definitely get the bang for my buck here. Um, and so this one I have been, I read the first issue when it released and just got sidetracked and never went back and finished it. I'm talking about the many deaths of Layla star uh, written by Ron B with incredible, incredible art by Felipe Andrade. And, and, and basically this, the story is set that um, the personification of death um has been laid off from her corporate job um, because someone has this, this child has been born who will grow up to invent immortality. And so she's in, you know, the, the Warner brothers discovery of the afterlife has laid her off, has laid her off. And now they are giving her a chance at a mortal life, but she like is, is on this venge filled tour the force trying to take out this kid in, you know, who, who is basically put her out of a job. Um, and so it's just like a really, really beautiful kind of meditation on, you know, life and death and remembrance. And she visits him almost in like this Dickensian model of different stages in his life. She encounters him as an infant where she almost, you know, performs infanticide, but you know, thinks better of it. Um, and, um, and then she sees him as, as a, as a young child, uh, as a, as a teenager, as, as a middle-aged adult. And then, you know, in the latter years of his life in the fifth and final issue, and it's just this really beautiful musing on life and death. Like if you're a fan of the Sandman, I highly recommend this book. It's just like something along the lines of Sandman, but like with this kind of bright, like fluorescent um, Indian flair. It takes place in Mumbai. Um, and it's just a really, as someone who, as as I talked about recently, I just love culture and I'm such a, a geography, anthropological nerd you know, seeing this story set in a, in a in a world like Mumbai, and seeing the different mythologies of the world that are not exactly like pop culture. I mean, you you do see like a lot of of South South Asian deities, you know, of of Hindu like pop up every now and then, but they're not as ever present as like the Greco Roman gods or or the Norse gods, something like that. So this was really really fun read. It's only five issues. You'll fly through it, and it's just. There's a lot of tear jerking moments that, you know, make you think about people that you've lost in your life and and what all of this means, like the meaning of life and like some musings on this. And it's just a really, really beautiful book. Yeah, so I have read this in my binge of indie books. It was actually originally going to be one of the first things I wanted to nerd commend after Nerd Nightmare. And then uh, you were like, I'm going to recommend this book. I was like, ah, he called dibs. All right. All right. So that's all good. I'm, I'm a big fan of this one, too. Um, it has sort of a vibe, I think, um, very unlike anything else I've read. Uh, it's it's probably apt to say that there is a uh, like a parallel with like death in Sandman, but as you as you mentioned, you know the the art takes a very different approach, um, and then the cultural backdrop is completely different. And I think that cultural backdrop completely transforms the kind of story this is. And where it ultimately goes. So um, I'm a huge fan of this one, and it's made me want to seek out a lot more of, of Ram V's work for one, uh, just because I the the writing kind of just slapped me upside the head. I didn't quite. It's very unusual for me to read um, a, a comic these days and have absolutely no idea where it's going. You know, I usually kind of get a sense for where the story is headed. Um, and and with this one, I was just not sure what, what what they were going for, and and as it came together, it just it was a beautiful story. I was very impressed with it. It, it reminded me specifically of my favorite Sandman issue and episode. I don't know if you saw the episode yet, Dave, of the sound of her wings, where Death yes. visits you know all these people at their you know as they're dying, and you know to come collect them. I guess um, is. And, and just masterfully, masterfully portrayed by Kirby Howell Baptiste in the series. Um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. We thank you so much for riding along with us on this adventure. Um, if you like what you hear, please be sure to like, subscribe, uh, rate, and review on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, 
uh, Amazon Music or our fancy website, nerdbyword.com. And of course, slap on the social media where all the fun people hang out and there's never anything controversial happening. And there you can find us at Nerd by Word and individually at that Nerd Dave and at that Nerd Chris. We want to hear what you think of the show, suggestions for what you would like to see us talk about. Um, also, you can click on our handy link tree, which gives you all sorts of links where you can find our podcast, our merch, our Discord. And don't forget to check out Bigfoot Nose Karate issue number two on Kickstarter. And be sure to stay tuned to our Instagram page. By the time this is recording, we may have already done some, but we plan to do more in the future. Uh, Nerd at Night coming to an Instagram Live or a streaming service near you. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.